Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It's Ra Pare, that's Thursday, the 26th of January. Coming up, Germany is to send in the tanks to Ukraine. We'll have the latest from the UK and Europe. Deputy Prime Minister Carmel Sepuloni joins us live for her first interview since officially being sworn in yesterday, we're pretty sure. And new Prime Minister Chris Hipkins uh, spends his first official day on the job in Auckland visiting businesses today. So we speak to one that he visited last year when he was our police minister and find out if anything has changed. And flies, flies! Fly spray? Ah, screen doors mostly. Fly spray, that, that's all we use. I swat them with my, uh, with my towel, my tea towel. I go around and I bop them out of the place at every corner. Nga mihi kia koutou. Welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere and we begin your Thursday programme in a sleepy old town up north called London. I'm joined by our correspondent, it's Henry Riley. Morena Henry, how are you? Hello, Nathan. Very well, thank you. Hope you are too. Yeah, I am. Hey, tell me this. The Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer there, he's, he's aiming his parliamentary guns at the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak over these tax dealings of a Conservative Party chairman there, Nadim Sahawi. What is the latest in, in that escapade? You're quite right. Of course, we spoke about this two days ago, didn't we? Tuesday, your time, Monday, our time. Alistair Campbell, who I know, interestingly, you spoke with, I think, earlier this week, mm. had a rule when he was the chief spin doctor to Tony Blair that if someone is in the news for more than five days, it's time to get rid of them if it's bad news. And this is ticking up into four days. So I do think it's interesting going by his old logic. The longer this goes on, the more damaging it's going to be for the Conservative Party. And it's also a tricky situation for Rishi Sunak, as we spoke about earlier in the week, Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, was fresh out the blocks straight away saying the Prime Minister looks weak. He needed to sack Nadim Zahawi, the current chairman of the Conservative Party, of course, as we referenced earlier in the week. This man used to be the Chancellor as well. And so it was an issue that Sir Keir Starmer really hammered Rishi Sunak on. It's a Wednesday here, so it was the, the weekly ding-dong between the Prime Minister and leader of the opposition, Prime Minister's questions. And he kept using this line that the Prime Minister was hopelessly weak, which I think he hopes is cut through with the public. There's this sense that Rishi Sunak has been absent from many of the key disputes, such as the strikes we've had in the UK. He's now looking weak over this. And Keir Starmer hoping that if he keeps calling him weak, and indeed the longer this goes on with Nadim Zahawi, the more ground that he and the Labour Party will make. Interesting, interesting. Hey, tell me this. So after um, these horrible, uh, high-profile convictions there to do with the Met Police officers, I I understand the Commissioner of Police has been testifying there in front of a committee. What's been revealed? That's quite right. So he was in front of the Police and Crime Committee of the London Assembly. They're elected members from various parties who represent London boroughs. And he was in front being scrutinised by many Assembly members. And you referenced we had this case of David Carrick, who was a serving Met officer. He committed offences, including sexual offences and rape against 12 different women. And he's been pled guilty to to many of those offences. And unfortunately, a very grim, stark and in many ways honest message from the Metropolitan Police Commissioner saying we should prepare for more painful stories. He says, unfortunately, he thinks two or three metropolitan police officers per week are expected to appear in court on criminal charges in the current weeks, in the coming weeks or months. He's trying to root out the commissioner, Sir Mark Rowley, what are known as bad apples, officers who've committed heinous crimes, such as David Carrick did, officers who in the past have committed those crimes as well and who have somehow stayed in the peace or managed to get through the vetting process when it was 
uh, perhaps a, a little easier than it is now. And he's saying that, unfortunately, there are more officers in the police who've committed sexual offences. He's trying to root them out, but he's saying it's not a quick task. It's something which is going to take many weeks and many months. And they're trying to root out as many as possible and as quickly as possible. Yeah, horrible stuff. But at least they're trying to get get through to that. My goodness. Also, to Amazon workers in the UK, they've gone on strike. Why are they on strike? Well, mainly because of appalling conditions. So this is represented by the GMB union, which is one of our largest trade unions in the UK. They represent many of the many of the workers on the front line. Amazon workers earn outside of London about £10.50 an hour. And they were offered a 5% pay rise, which is essentially about a 50p an hour pay rise. And their strike, their staff have gone on strike. Over 300 members walked out at Amazon's Coventry warehouse. The GMB union have said they're unhappy about that payoff that I mentioned, but they're also unhappy about working conditions. A few of the things they reference are idle time. So when they're not scanning certain items, the time they report, many members who work there, will be accumulated. So if they say in a nine hour day, there was 34 minutes where you weren't scanning items, what were you doing? The staff are claiming they're almost being quizzed as to what they're doing in their idle time when they're going to the toilets. If they're longer than 10 minutes, they're also being quizzed about that. Some people who work at the warehouse who have diabetes are actually saying that by the time they find a toilet, because there aren't enough of them around in certain warehouses, it can take 15 minutes by the time they've been to the loo and actually found one and and got back. And they're aggressively quizzed by some of their superiors as well. Many staff are also working 60 hour weeks. It's been quoted as well, which is above the average and many staff unhappy about that because of the cost of living crisis. And so it reflects on a huge company, Amazon, treating their workers in a way which many people, in particular the unions, disapprove of. Yeah, I mean, Henry, I've seen these stories out of the United States with the drivers, uh, you know, mentioning about that as well for when they stop to go to the toilet mm. and they're being told not to. But just thinking the way trickle down economics works, surely if your boss has got his own rocket, you'd all got your own helicopter by now, haven't you? If you're working at Amazon, <laughs> might be weird. Well, hey, <laughs> sorry. I think I think the Amazon workers would say that they're still waiting. Yeah, they still are. Henry, thank you very much for your time, sir, out of the UK uh, with all the news there. That is Henry Riley. It's 11 and a half past five here at First Up on RNZ National. And while New Zealand's rate of inflation sits at 7.2%, Australia's rate of 7.8% is the highest level since 1990. Economists predict interest rates there will continue to rise, but there is some good news for them. Uh, A report from the Australian Energy Market Operator shows that wholesale electricity prices there are falling. But as the ABC's Angus Randall reports, the bill relief for householders could be up to a year off. Electricity prices have been causing a lot of stress for Australian households for some time now, but could relief be in sight? Perhaps the latest investigation into the energy grid from the Australian Energy Market Operator, or AEMO, is showing a good trend. A rise in the use of renewable energy sources is sending electricity prices down. But don't pop those champagne corks yet. These changes in these wholesale prices won't be flowing through to anybody's bills too soon. Gavin Dufty is the Manager of Policy and Research at St Vincent de Paul. It takes a while for these wholesale prices to, to wash through. Now the reason for that is electricity and gas retailers buy firm contracts for what they believe their portfolio, you know that's you and me, the people they sell energy to, for the next 12 months or up to two years. So they buy futures and then that price is baked in for a while. My guess is you, at the earliest, might start to see some of these prices wash through post-July, but more likely, you know, um, up to 12 months from now. 
In December, the federal government brought in a cap on coal and gas prices in response to soaring power bills. The AEMO report shows it's already making a difference, at least on wholesale prices. Gavin Dufty says both the cap and the signal the government is willing to intervene in the energy market has helped shape the market for the better. This is a good sign. I think we're unlikely to see the really large price increases in the wholesale market that were about about eight months ago. I mean, they, they, were, they were phenomenally high. Um, I think we're getting to a new normal. I don't think we'll be getting back to the really low prices that we had at a few years ago. There's good news ahead, but some people are still paying off power bills from when prices were at their highest. Cassandra Goldie is the CEO of the Australian Council of Social Service. It's certainly... It crushing for people who are on very low incomes. I mean, we know there's been a dramatic increase in the size of energy debt for people um, who are on low incomes who have been facing these, you know, extraordinarily large now energy bills. The report shows there's been a 16% increase in power generated from rooftop solar, helping keep bills down for those who've installed panels on their roof. But that's not an option for renters or those in apartment buildings. Cassandra Goldie says in addition to the lack of solar, low-income housing costs more money to keep cool, putting those most at risk further behind. Uh, We've got people still living in poorly designed houses. They're too hot in summer, too cool in winter and still too expensive to run. So this is a welcome uh, signal of the market. More is needed in terms of making sure that people on the lowest incomes are getting access to the best of technologies, including access to insulation, draft proofing and, of course, um, renewable energy generation like solar. Renewable energy production from wind and solar farms was at an all-time high at 20% of all power generation between October and December. Analyst Tim Buckley from the Climate Energy Finance think tank says coal and gas is on the way out and that should keep prices down in the long term. Both of them are in structural terminal decline but Australia has one of the highest coal grid dependencies in the world and so it will be a decade-long process but the events of the last 12 months really highlight the need for transition so that is inevitable in my view it is being accelerated. The government's cap on coal and gas prices will expire in December. That's the ABC's Angus Randall reporting there. Oh, we'll round up. We'll call it 16 past five, shall we? Just past quarter past. You are listening to First Up here at RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Always keen for feedback. It's Australia Day today. Uh, we, we were just mulling before, like, what how, What should we ask you? Jeremy quite likes, how will you be celebrating? Wrong answers only. Uh, and another thing I think, what does Australia do better than anybody else? There you go. 2101. What does Australia do better than anybody else? You can be creative. Uh, you can tweet us or you can text us or even email us uh, if you feel you, you need to go long form on that one. Let's go to Europe now, where war is still raging in Ukraine. Uh, joining me now from Sweden is our correspondent, Dr. Anita Purcell Schurland. Morena, Anita, how are you? Fine, thank you, Morena. So tell me this, the, the German Chancellor there, Olaf Scholz, he's announced that his country actually is going to send tanks to Ukraine. Obviously Russian, not happy about that at all. 
Now, Russia's foreign ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova describes Germany's decision as confirmation of what she says was a pre-planned war uh, against Moscow. As we've been reporting, Kiev has for months asked for Western tanks that it says it desperately needs to give its forces the firepower and mobility to break through Russian defensive lines and to recapture occupied territory in the east and south. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has been telling the Bundestag about his country's decision to send Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine, as well as allowing other countries to send their Leopard 2 tanks. Now, here's what was said. Schultz noted that his country had faced um, particular economic challenges due to the war in Ukraine. Asked why sending uh, tanks was no longer a provocation, he said it would have been a severe mistake for Germany to proceed alone. Now, US President Joe Biden is expected to announce US tanks will be sent to Ukraine later today. However, Schultz said that relations with the US were better than they had been for a long, long time. And uh, one MP accused Schultz of overthrowing the principles of post-war German politics, saying the decision was imperialism. But of course, uh, Schultz rejected this. Mm, That's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Let's actually uh, go to another story which affects where you are and also your neighbouring nation there, so Sweden and Finland. I see Turkey's postponed a NATO meeting with them. So those two countries do need Turkey's support to join the bloc. You know, why have they postponed that meeting? Well, this is been postponed indefinitely and uh, the meetings were scheduled for next month with Sweden and Finland and uh, this is according to Turkish State TV. Now Turkey's decision came a day after President Recep Tayyip Erdogan warned Sweden he wouldn't support its bid to join NATO after the burning of the Quran by a Swedish far-right leader uh, over the weekend. Bids to join NATO as we know have to be ratified by all members of the alliance of which Turkey is a member. However Swedish authorities went ahead and a Approve the weekend's protest despite Turkey's objections. Now, Erdogan's comments and postponement uh, lessened Sweden and Finland's prospects of joining NATO before Turkey's parliament and presidential polls in May. And what's got Stockholm all abuzz is that Finland hinted for the first time that it might consider joining NATO without Sweden because of Stockholm's diplomatic problems with Ankara. Yeah, this is a fellow by the name of Andrew Tate that I want to talk about now. He's the very misogynist influencer, former kickboxer. He's issued a statement about his arrest in Romania for rape and human trafficking. What has he said there? Well, he's just come out and said that there is no justice in Romania and that the case filed against him was empty. Now, Tate and his brother were arrested shortly after Christmas at their home in Bucharest, along with two Romanian women. Prosecutors allege that the Tate brothers recruited victims by seducing them and falsely claiming they wanted a, a relationship or marriage. Prosecutors say the victims were then taken to properties outside Bucharest, where they were sexually exploited and forced to create pornographic content for social media sites that generated large amounts of money for um, for Tate. Yeah, it's a, it's a horrible story there as well. I just want to ask you something about Italy and uh, their love of animals uh, and actually the, the mourning that is going on, the death of a famous rare brown bear. Why was the brown bear famous? 
Oh, this is a lovely fuzzy wuzzy story. I mean, Juan Carito is a three-year-old Marsican bear who are very rare in Europe. They're endangered. And um, this bear died after being hit by a car in the Abruzzo region in central Italy earlier this month. Now, Carito was seen in the ski resort town of Roccarasso, where he became world famous in Italy for his 2021 biscuit heist in which he broke into a local bakery and scoffed a batch of freshly baked biscuits. Now, now, the biscuit heist led to Carito being captured twice and banished to a remote area in the mountains, but each time he would walk 150 kilometers home to Rocarazzo. Now, he would often sleep among the pine trees in the entrance of the town before going in search for food in the town itself. I, I can think of some biscuits I've had that I would walk 150 kilometres for. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Same. That's Dr. Anita purcell Sherland in Sweden. Twenty-one and a half past five. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up on the programme, the new Deputy Prime Minister, Carmel Cipolloni, joins us live for her first interview since being sworn in yesterday. And flies, they're all around the place. We tell you why uh, we'll have to uh, put up with them for some time yet. Time now to get the latest news from Tauranga from our local democracy reporting programme. Um, I asked the reporter, Alicia Evans, why the good residents of Tauranga are not very happy with the council. So Tauranga City Council conduct an annual residence survey and this year's surveys come back and said that people's overall satisfaction with the council is at 32%. Now it's the same as last year, so people are a bit unhappy with the council, it would seem. And they've sort of said part of this is because we've got commissioners in charge at the moment. They don't feel that there's democracy. And Anne Tolly, she um, responded to people's concerns and sort of said they think it's because there's they're playing what they say catch up, upgrading roads, putting in new um, civic centres and things like that. So that's the most ambitious capital program, capital works program, sorry, that they've had and it's causing a bit of uh, upset with the residents. So people would like it done just instantly like that, please. I'd like Cameron Road, <laughs> totally different by tomorrow morning, thanks, because it's inconvenient for me right now. So I'd forgotten about the Commissioner. That's It's an interesting point with that. Um, tell me about this too, as well as uh, the residents, you know, finding reasons for that not to be happy with. Why are people waiting longer than normal for blood tests there? Yes, so the PATH lab, they've got like a critical uh, shortage of staff. They need another nine staff because they've got three clinics closed at the moment, which means people are having to travel further. They're having to wait longer because the normal clinics that would be open aren't. And um, yeah, that's sort of an hour, an hour and 20 wait for some people. And this affects people who are, you know, having those regular blood tests. They might be undergoing chemo or have other issues that need tests sort of weekly or fortnightly. So it's really impacting their daily lives having to wait so long. Yeah. And it's it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, many people love visiting. So what's the thing some visitors in Tauranga get a, hi, welcome to Tauranga. Here's a parking fine. Yes. Now, this is a um, hotel on Devonport Road, the Quest on Devonport Road. They don't have a loading bay outside, so guests and delivery trucks have been using this really wide footpath as a bit of an unofficial loading bay. And the council, it's been happening for three years, the council have said they're sort of starting to crack down on that. They've issued a couple of fines, and um, the hotel director's gone to them and said, well, you need to provide us with a loading bay if you're going to fine us for using our footpath, because that's really only the safe 
the safest option for people. Parking's a bit tricky to find and they're now charging for it. So people that are wanting to stop for a few minutes are sort of struggling with, well, where do we go? And the council suggested they've got like linen deliveries and things like that. The council said, oh, well, they can just stop right out on the road where there's no yellow lines um, and impact the traffic. And the director's sort of a bit worried. He says, this is dangerous. You know, we could have linen bins fall off and into traffic and injure people or hit cars and things. So he's hoping that they'll uh, put in a loading bay for him. But are the parking fines expensive? I think it's around $30 for stopping on the yellow lines and 40 for parking behind the berm. So I'm not sure if they give you two or just one. But just stopping on the road is, is free. So you can you should just do yeah. the hazard lights. Apparently that's a better thing. Is there much parking around around Tauranga Central City for people that don't know? There is. There's a bit of on-street parking. The best bet for people is there's a couple of off-street parking buildings. Um, but there seems to be this perception of if I can't get a park right outside a store, I don't want to stop instead of, you know, maybe taking that extra couple of minutes walking, parking in a parking building. So I think that's something that needs to change in terms of, you know, we're a growing city, we're bigger. You're not just going to be able to stop right outside where you need to go and get that park anymore. That's Alicia Evans, our LDR reporter in Tauranga. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It is January the 26th. So on this day in 1926, John Logie Beard demonstrated his moving picture device there to the Royal Institute uh, Institution in London. It was his television. I think it was a repeat of The Chase, probably. Uh, so that was on this day in 1926. And that happened one year after the birth of Paul Newman. Yeah, um, of course he died in 2008, also uh, no longer with us, uh, but making an impact while he was here was Eddie Van Halen, born in Amsterdam on this day in 1955 and uh, died in 2020. Andrew Ridgely of Wham, he's 61, still doing the jitterbug. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, the greatest team athlete in North American history, uh, he holds 61 records of his, of his own uh, at the Ice Hockey Hall of Fame. He turns 62 today and Ellen DeGeneres is 65 years old today. She doesn't have a TV show anymore, does she? Yeah, oh, yeah, true, got a gold card, that's good. On this day in 1950, India became a republic after achieving full independence from Great Britain. On this day in 1988, Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera uh, opened in New York City and then went on to become the longest-running show in Broadway history. The one that really caught me today was this. On this day in 1972, JAT Yugoslav Airlines Flight 367 exploded mid-flight and it split into three. Uh, 28 were on board 27 died. Uh, that's because one of the air stewardesses, Vesna Vulovic, was blown out one of the gaps in the plane when it split into three. She fell 10,160 metres, no parachute or anything, and managed to survive. And she's uh, still quite a celebrity in her country. Uh, so yes, those are the happenings on this day, the 26th of January. And with us from the business desk is Giles Beckford. Morena, how are you? Morena, I've just had a dose of the collie wobbles. The collie wobbles, The collie wobbles, and I know you haven't heard that in a zillion years, well, since the chase started anyway. Is that no, gal- just, just that last item about the, the hostess, the, 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 the steward that fell 10,000 metres. Metres. And it's survive. In, it's incredible, isn't it? I don't know what she landed on, 
um, or, or how it happened. But yes, she she managed to survive that one. It's incredible. I Just mean, I've known financial markets to fall far less than that <laughs> and sort of wipe out whole bloody continents. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> well, whole economies anyway, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, just, yeah, so th- that was my dose of the collie wobbles. Well, the collie wobbles, thank it you. Go- it goes with what I was going to talk about this morning Go. very loosely, which was uh, every year at the beginning of the year, I get inundated with people offering to uh, give me stories, give me books, uh, give me expert tips on my professional development. Yes. Right, and some might say I'm well beyond any help whatsoever, but the you know the self-help industry is big and it's worth you know, a lot of money especially in some of the bigger economies. The latest one to come out or to be presented to me is how to prevent burnout in 2023. And there are five simple tips. Uh, one of them is being self-aware. Okay. So or knowing where you are, and it's sort of like the foundation uh, for your professional career. The other one is getting control of your fast brain and your slow brain. Now, the fast brain is the one that's the impulsive knee-jerk reaction part of your thinking. The mm-hmm. slow brain is where you actually do your considered step back, scratch your chin, top of your head saying, well, yeah, it might be better if we do it this way rather than that way. So you weigh things up and saying you need to get the balance right there. This is the one, one of the ones that got me. Find your vertical growth edge. Your vertical growth edge. About time someone spoke about that. What is it? Exactly. Well, it's, it's between <laughs> your comfort zone and your terror zone, apparently. Okay. So what's that, fight or flight, in another sense? But right, you need to disrupt our sense of, uh, we first must disrupt our sense of order, move outside our comfort zone and build a new, more functional order. Sounds like something you'd get out of Pyongyang, wouldn't it? <laughs> Never mind. Be values driven. Are your values a living practice? Do you practice what you preach? All right, fair enough. And do you have good practices anyway? Do you have good values? And commit to daily action. That's the num- number five. Pointless to choose values if you don't have a daily commitment to deliberately put them into action. So there's the five tips uh, to progress my professional career hmm. in 2023. Uh, I don't think I can use the word uh, on air, but I think it's possibly... A load of old cobblers, uh, <laughs> and I think it's important that people actually just use their common sense more often and not be aware of the people that they're in, the job that they do. Um, you know, most people actually get through their careers very successfully by having very little formal training per se. Yeah, there's mechanical training. You've mm. got to know which which buttons to press on the computer to fill that column there or whatever. But in the end, most people do their jobs quite instinctively because they have those qualities within them and their brains operate without the need of self-help books. But, you know, there are whole human uh, resources departments. I was nearly going to use my term human remains because that's my view of people's <laughs> teams and the like. But um, there are whole departments and businesses that will sit you right if you're not filling the company uh, mantra. But I'll tell you I, what. Giles, um, yeah, I've just had a lot. I've got two definitions of collie walls. One says pain in the abdomen and especially in the stomach. The other one was an Australian football, you know, Aussie rules football. Yep. The collie wobbles refers to the period between 1958 and 1990 when the Collingwood Magpies reached nine grand finals for eight losses and a draw. There you are. Well, 
That was my fast brain and my slow brain doing both of those uh, with some vertical growth. So and you d- and you didn't need a, a, no, a book to tell you. I didn't. No. Wonderful. Thank Brilliant. you, Giles. Cheers, there no, he is. Take <laughs> you can hear more from the business team on Morning Reports this morning at ten to seven. Well. There's one bugbear we had over the holidays, despite the North Island weather, which decided to become fine when everyone went back to work. There's been a buzz in the air, and not that good kind. It's the season of flies, and the wet holiday period means that they're popping up by the truckload. Reporter Leonard Powell put his fly swat down, picked up the microphone, put his crocs on, and went outside to learn more about why flies have been more annoying this summer. Now the sun has come out after weeks of muggy, wet weather, chances are you're now reacquainting yourself with those unwelcome visitors. Flies. They're inescapable at the moment, and everyone I spoke to had their own way of dealing with them. Uh, fly swap. Yeah, good old fly swap. Fly tape, I guess. It's not aesthetically pleasing at all, but does the trick. Oh, fly spray. Just clean up. We get the fly man to come in once a year and he sprays the house, inside and outside, and see you later flies, you never see them again. Ah, screen doors mostly, keep the airflow moving around, so they don't stop and land sort of thing. We use the uh, fly spray, that's all we use. I swat them with my uh, my towel, my tea towel, I go around and I buff them out the place, every every corner. I gotta take the bins out every day now because the fruit flies in my bin are heinous, it's disgraceful though. My mum got me a little electric zapper for like mosquitoes, like a portable one and I took it to R&B with me and I leave that on the windowsill next to the bin. And that works? Kind of. you got to clean it though. It's pretty disgusting. But why are there so many? Are there more flies than normal? I put it to an expert. Cheryl Smith is the director of North Pest, a Whangarei-based business that she and her husband have run since 2015. Business is booming for North Pest, often booked out two to three weeks in advance. Miss Smith says the weather this summer has been perfect for flies to breed. The combination of the huge rainfalls that we've had, so the perfect breeding conditions for flies are heat and moisture. So heat and moisture is what we've got and flies are thriving. North Pest treats houses for flies by applying residual insecticide to areas flies are likely to crawl, such as ceilings, walls, door frames and even sometimes the eaves on the outside of houses. They also place fly bait in areas like rubbish and recycling bin lids and sell commercial strength fly spray for when instant action is required. But even with these treatments, Miss Smith says it's not easy to get rid of flies completely, so people should educate themselves on how to keep them out of the house. Making sure there's lids on compost bins, uh, any dogs, making sure you you pick up their droppings and and put them in a rubbish bin and, and that that rubbish bin also has a lid. We recommend, for example, food scraps freezing those until rubbish day so you don't have, you know, you're not, a, get it, you're not attracting them in the first place. Keeping your lawns down, keeping foliage cut back so that the airflow can go through all, all just helps to keep fly populations down. Miss Smith says airflow is key. Flies avoid the wind, so having indoor fans can help deter the pesky creatures from hanging around. I ask her about murmurings from around the office that fly spray is not doing its job, and she broke down why that may be the case. I think flies can become resistant to fly spray, but I also think the quality of the fly spray perhaps isn't that great over time. Fly spray that we have has three different active ingredients, so I think it's better. I think the active ingredient is an important aspect of the quality of fly spray, and of course not many people look for what the active ingredient is. They just look at you know, a dead fly on a can and, and, and hope that it will work. 
Cockroaches are also making their presence felt this summer, but in some positive news, Miss Smith debunked the theory that crushing a cockroach will spread its eggs. It's a complete myth because if you squash the cockroach, you're also squashing the eggs and the eggs can't survive being squashed as the cockroach can't either. So yeah, that's, that's a huge myth. And be warned, we haven't reached the peak of fly season yet. Generally and historically, the problem is still going to get worse. It's usually, in our experience, the worst from January to March and then they continue to linger on right through until June. So once the winds do stop and you know people go outside and the, you start cooking the barbecues and, and what have you, um, you know, it's really hot and everybody's got their doors and windows open and they're cooking lovely smells and the flies just cut. That's their perfect environment. That's Leonard Powell reporting there. I didn't know that thing about the cockroaches. I'd always, I'd always believe that one as well. It's fine, just stomp them. 20 to 6. I'm Nathan Radity here at First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, will a new leader fix an old problem? A man whose dairy was ram-raided while Chris Hipkins was Police Minister tells us what he expects now that he's Prime Minister and the new Deputy Prime Minister, Carmel Sepuloni, joins us live on the first day of the job. The professionals of Morning Report are here after six for a quick preview of what's happening today. It's Guy on Espinar. Kia ora, how are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you. We're all about inflation today. It wasn't much of a gift, was it, for the new incoming Prime Minister Chris Hipkins to see inflation still over 7%. He's meeting with business leaders in Auckland today mm. as he says he's prioritising inflation pressures. We'll talk to Simon Bridges, who's now the Auckland Chamber of Commerce Chief, about what they're expecting and hoping for that. We go, you were speaking about, well, someone's speaking about rumbling tummies before, um, the, the, the food and the, the issues of, of uh, price points yes. at, at the dinner table is a is a big one. We're going to be speaking to some of the smaller operators in the grocery store space about whether any of those measures that the government said that they were going to try to increase competition in the supermarket space are working at all. And then for the big answers, we go to the finance minister Grant Robertson. We'll be interviewing him today as well as Nationals uh, finance spokesperson Nicola Willis. So we're all about cost of living today. Yeah, oh, wonderful. That's good. And we've got a guy called uh, Nathan Radide to oh, do the guy. sports chat. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's good. You should he, listen to him. I think he's been watching the netball, so it's good. OK, thank you very much. Well, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins will spend his first official day on the job in Auckland visiting businesses today, and this comes as Mr Hipkins is under pressure amid a global inflation pandemic and the cost of living up 7.2% year on year. So last July, Nimesh Patel's Auckland dairy was ram-raided in the middle of the night by a group of 10 youths armed with tennis rackets. Mr Hipkins visited the dairy last September as police minister. Our producer Matthew Tunison went back to Belmont to speak with Nimesh Patel about what had changed since Chris Hipkins' visit. We're still feeling a trauma and we're still not 100% with our mental health because the ram rage is not going to happen. We have all major place, major things in a place, but there's still robberies and worries, right? They could be happening any time. And the reason is I, I feel for their kids, I know. I feel for their life. Probably they had a bad life or something. I don't know about that. But just just like a request, I'm not the responsible person for their bad life. As long as, as I do my work, I pay my tax. That's my job. Yeah. And it's, it's like we're not running a multimillionaire business. We're running a small family business to survive ourselves. Right. And... Until, not a super harsh penalty, but until they don't have any fear to commit a crime, they will not going to stop it. 
I think they arrested the, the, the people who did this ramray, didn't same they? Same night, same night. Do you know what's happened to them? No, I haven't anything so far yet. I received one email that one of them from there, they, he turned 18 and he's gonna go to the, from youth court to the, to the adult yeah. system, but no, so far not. I know, I can understand. Police are doing their great job. Yeah, they're doing absolutely amazing. Yeah. They do what they can do, but as I said, there's nothing on them. End of the day, when they submit into the court, it's up to the judge or it's up to the jury who's ever make that decision. I'm sorry to hear that um, um, you've been having a hard time still. Can you talk me through what, what, are you just fearful for yourself and your family or do you feel actually traumatized like by what happened? We, we have in a look at the, we have in a price rise, we have an egg shortage, we have in a smoke-free countries legislation coming up. So there's so many, even to running a small business, it's already been hard enough for us. So we wanted to manage that stuff, what we're facing, we don't want extra more damage to ourselves and our, our business. It's like the next day when we opened the shop, me and my wife literally cried. Yeah. Lucky to the local community, they help us out with the cleaning and local builder, they help us with the support and put it back in a place so we can run the business. Mm. Um, now, Chris Hipkins is our new Prime Minister. He visited you guys not too long ago, a few months back. Yeah. Can you tell me what uh, you talked with him about? Uh, he was really concerned about, he, was, he wasn't even happy about, not going to lie with you, but, but as I said, he wasn't prime minister at that time, so he can't he make a commitment. Minister. He was a police minister though, but he can't make certain commitment until he has to spoke with his minister too. Now he's got the top job. What, are you, what would you like to see from his government? We need a country back in the feet, in a proper way. I'm not the right person to say that, yeah, because I'm not the accountable person to make any decision, but it's we need it we need it country back in a feet what about these ram raids i mean from my what, what i can see they do seem to have stopped or slowed down at least a little bit i'm not sure well but because it, because every every soap owner has now like put put the good things and safe things on they 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 side like for example they install a bolas they install a roller door or they installed installed big cage around the counter so did something so did something which is good but like as i said we don't want a remedy to be happen not with anyone not with like any not in dairy not in liquor store not in a, like a cafes or anything it just as long as we do our business so is there anything specific you'd like to see any specific policies as i said need a, need a change businesses. in the law there should be consequences to in stop the kids or what consequences that's it, yeah. The penalty is not gonna penalties. How are they gonna pay penalties? Two dollars a week? That's not gonna help any businesses. Have you received any kind of reparation or government support since yes, what happened? Yes, yes, yes. Government has been amazing. They they did help us out. Yeah, How? they did help us out. They put a fork in and then. And the yep, bollards? Yep. Now bollards, I put myself. But we, we, we got the grand, we it? got the roller door as well. Okay. That's our producer Matthew Tunison there speaking with Belmont dairy owner Nimesh Patel. It is 11 to 6. The BBC has found evidence of a vast number of COVID-related deaths in parts of rural China. Older populations living in rural regions are at risk from COVID-19 as the virus moves from the big cities into more remote areas. Stephen McDonnell from the BBC has this report.
coffin makers in northern Shanxi province have been busy. There's been great debate about the number of COVID deaths in China's cities, but there's still no official death toll for rural areas. Yet what you see if you visit local crematoriums is that a lot of people have died. In fact, all those we meet who are working in the funeral industry speak about an explosion in demand. Orders for these paper funeral ornaments are being placed at two or three times the normal rate because of coronavirus deaths, according to this man. Some sick people were already very weak. Then they catch COVID and their elderly bodies can't handle it. The government has announced more than 70,000 COVID-related deaths in China's hospitals. But these rural areas have only sparse facilities and many pass away at home. So they're mostly not being counted. She had severe diabetes. After she got COVID, she had a high fever and her organs began to fail. Her immune system wasn't strong enough to make it. Wang Peiwei has just lost his sister-in-law. The mother of two was in her early 50s. He says the cost of Buddhist funeral images like these has skyrocketed because of the speed of the deaths. She was a great person. We must hold a grand event to send her off, the best we can afford. For the Spring Festival, hundreds of millions of younger people have already returned to their hometowns. Places mostly populated by the elderly who are more at risk from COVID. These are the fireworks, the pictures, the lanterns and the snacks the Chinese people buy to help them ring in the new year. It's normally a very joyous time. In fact, the most important festival in this country. But this year, people won't necessarily be so happy because they may well have lost friends or loved ones to the coronavirus. Everyone seems to know somebody who's died. I ask this farmer about what appear to be new graves nearby. Families have been burying their elderly relatives. There are just so many. He points to the fresh mounds of earth. They're marked with red flags. In his village of a few thousand, he says more than 40 people have passed away during the outbreak. But they're hoping that COVID's worst work has been done and that the fields where they toil won't be filled with more of their loved ones in the near future. That was Stephen McDonnell reporting there from Shanxi. It is 726 every Thursday this year. We go to hear from the Deputy Prime Minister and we're thrilled to welcome our new deputy, it's Carmel Sepuloni, onto the programme this morning. Kia ora, how are you? Morena, I'm very good, thank you. So um, you were sworn in yesterday. How, um, tell us, how did that go? Oh, it was surreal, really, uh, to think that within a week all of this has happened. Uh, has been very surreal. Um, But it was very, very special. I had my family there. There were all of the Pacific MPs, former Pacific MPs, uh, and very big for our Pacific community. And I have to say, it's just a privilege to sit alongside Chris Hipkins. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you are our first Deputy Prime Minister of Samoan Tongan descent. Have you been hearing a lot from the community? Yes, our Pacific community is incredibly emotional about this decision. I, and I knew it would mean a lot to them, but I think um, 
even more than what I had anticipated. So the words of encouragement and support and prayers um, have been coming left, right and centre, uh, and it's incredibly humbling. Now, did Grant Robertson, did, did you get a chance to sit down with him and, and have a discussion perhaps, or did he offer any advice? Yeah, I did. I actually sat down with him for a couple of hours on Saturday afternoon uh, before the decision was made, but when it was looking like this may be the decision, and just to talk through with him what the role entails. Because I think with Grant, you know, he's he's also been our finance minister. So in many ways, the two roles uh, had always almost merged in, in all of our minds. And so I was trying to get an understanding for, you know, the the Deputy Prime Minister part of his role, and um, he was really good with his words of advice and encouragement. What, what are your priorities as Deputy Prime Minister? They continue to be the same that they always have been. It's about um, supporting our families, supporting New Zealanders to get ahead, uh, supporting our young people to realise their potential. Um, you know, much of what has always been a priority for me as a politician and as a person in any role that I've held, I think is even more important at the moment in light of uh, the, the challenges that we're facing as a country and, and globally. Uh, and so those continue to be uh, my priorities. Yeah, I mean, one of those challenges, obviously, inflation. It's still high. I mean, I guess the good news was yesterday it didn't exactly go up, so that's good, but to hold. But, I mean, do you think that you, yourself and the Prime Minister uh, there have time to offer New Zealanders something to ease the load? Look, it's certainly a priority, and that is what um, our Prime Minister has made very clear right from the start. I think uh, many of the actions that we, we took under the leadership of uh, Jacinda and Grant um, set us in good stead uh, compared to other countries. You know, we're not um, in the same position to the to the same extent, um, but we're certainly feeling it here. And so, you know, we take that on board. We know that's what's happening with our communities and our whānau, and so um, that will be our priority over the course of the next year. Working at RNZ, one of the main discussion topics I got over the thing was, oh, so tell, tell us about the merger. What do, what, do you, what do you think about the merger? Yourself, could you see the, the, the TVNZ, RNZ merger gone? Oh, look, you know, there has been uh, an absolutely strong rationale for the work that has been undertaken in that space. Um, but certainly we're hearing some noise, and I'm not going to um, kind of preempt, you know, any discussions that may be had over the, the coming weeks with regards to the merger. Um, but, you know, we, we are listening to what people are saying and we're taking on board um, their concerns and anxieties. And so um, those things will be part of our conversations. I was at Mum's, so I got a chance to watch a lot of TV One, and it, it feels like it's going to be an RNZ Bradley Walsh merger. Just I should say, if I even look at that. <laughs> hey, um, the the cabinet reshuffle happens next week. So, do you hold on to your portfolio as the Minister of Social De- Development there? Oh, we haven't had those discussions. I haven't even had those discussions right. at this stage. Um, there's a lot for the Prime Minister to weigh up. There's a lot of talent in our caucus, uh, and I think he will be looking at um, opportunities to to showcase that. Um, but um, I, I don't want to um, set myself on, on the back foot by trying to preempt what the Prime Minister's decisions will be made around the reshuffle, uh, including with my own position. But I've enjoyed all of my portfolios, I have to say, um, mm. You know, social development, employment, ACC, arts, culture and heritage, and, you know, previously um, disability issues. And so, you know, I, 
yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed the opportunities I've had, but I won't preempt what decisions the Prime Minister might make. I had a chat uh, on air the other day with Debbie Ngarewa Packer, and we were. I asked her about you, and she said, "Oh, she's an ace at karaoke." Um, <laughs> and we've been theorising here. Well, I thought I thought you'd be a Sade. What, what's what she go to? Uh, Lauren Hill. Oh, as a, as, a, as a go-to. I'm actually not that good a singer, but I can keep a note. Oh, it's the commitment, isn't it? Well, look, it hey, is. Um, <laughs> it is. Well, uh, yeah, first day on the job. And when you write your memoir, you'll be able to go, I remember my first day on the job because I spoke to First Up on RNZ. So that's good. We just <laughs> we got ourselves in there. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. And we'll speak to you uh, every Thursday morning. And thanks for making yourself available to our audience uh, as well. There she is, the uh, Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand, Carmel uh, Sepuloni. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your participation in the show uh, today. Um, yeah, watch those flies out there as well. And apparently, rather than flies we've been getting the fruit flies and then I saw a tip apparently it was make sure that you, you put your plug in the sink because they come up through the sink Ooh. Morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin from all of us here at First Up have a wonderful day we'll be back in your ears our ah, Paul.